Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Watching this, I'm going to be down in Louisiana State Penitentiary spending the day with a lot of our people. We have over 50 men there who get our notes and lead Bible studies. And this is a rare opportunity today for me to spend the entire day walking around meeting them, the people they work with. And so thank you for giving me that opportunity. Our safe harbor is literally everywhere people go. But in my place today, I'm excited for you that you get to hear Dr. Rick Hunter. While I'm a scientist and I come to scripture from that direction, uh, Dr. Hunter, Rick, as we just call him here, uh, is a theologian and a scholar and a minister. He has preached uh, all across this country many times for decades. He is very well loved, very well respected, as he should be. And over the last few months, many of you have been following he and myself as we do our Just Jesus stories every Wednesday, especially on the podcast that has been our most popular podcast. It really soared once Dr. Hunter joined us. Another YouTube channel we do plan to launch, and that's his and only his, but we will link to it extensively because we love him. He's a member of our church, and he is an incredible intellect and a very kind individual. Please give your attention to and send in your greetings to Dr. Rick Hunter. Welcome this morning uh, to our Safe Harbor Church and those who are gathered with us worldwide at this time. I'm excited to be um, with you, to be able to speak for you and to you in in behalf of God's word and all that it means in our lives right now. As Patrick has said that he is away doing uh, an incredible work, Um, this family is built on an incredible work of people who decided that they wanted to be able to experience the grace of God They wanted to be able to open their hearts and their lives to what God is saying and doing in them. Uh, Now, all that Patrick has said, I'll try to live up to. But then again, I am in the flesh and I am Rick. And uh, that's how you'll be reaching me uh, through the different resources and emails and texts and stuff that come into the the church. We're glad to support him and this work. This morning's topic is dealing with grace, saved by grace, but demonized by the church. Saved by grace, but demonized by the church. And for those of you who are, who have grown up in legalistic faith traditions and, um, and as Patrick says, my tribe, meaning my faith tradition that I grew up in, um, most of you, well, those of you that are here know, um, was Churches of Christ. And um, Church of Christ is part of what's known as the Restoration, not Reformation, Martin Luther, 
Uh, um, we're, we're all in that. If you're not Catholic, you're on the Protestant side, which is Reformation. So all of us are in that if you're not Catholic. But specifically in that is a group that's known as the Restoration Churches. And you might know them because they broke up into three different groups. Part of the group that went off, that first broke off, um, you may know them as Disciples of Christ. And you may see Christian church, and in parentheses on the sign, you'll see Disciples of Christ. Uh, um, that's a particular group. And then in them is the Christian church. And you may see community Christian churches, you may see all that. But inside of that, you'll see some that just say that we are Christian church. And, um, and if you travel in Kentucky a lot, sometimes in certain parts of Tennessee, you will see Christian church. And in parentheses, you'll see Church of Christ as one group. And then the group um, that, that we kind of came through all this in is Churches of, of Christ. And they all broke off. Literally, disciples came out because they said there's something wrong with the way that the teaching is made. There's more here than what we're allowing God to do. So they made a break. Uh, and then the Christian church behind that, if you go into some Christian church, you may notice that women are a little freer in worship service. You will see more things going on in communion. You, you will hear instruments uh, in, in the company of the worship music. You'll see things like that that are going on. And then in churches of Christ, mostly um, up until maybe a decade ago, uh, they would have been predominantly a cappella. Um, in, in their singing, and not only would they be a cappella, but they would basically say that you do not have a relationship with Christ if you bring instruments into that worship service and use them to pray God. Now, it doesn't matter that if you're listening to gospel music in your car that's instrumental, that does not matter. It doesn't matter if you listen at work. doesn't matter if you go to a gospel concert. does not matter as long as they don't come into that opening prayer, somewhere between an opening prayer and a closing prayer on Sunday morning around 11 o'clock and somewhere around 5 to 6 and then on Wednesday. As long as it doesn't come in there, you're good. If it comes in out of there, uh, um, you're all right. But if it comes in here, there's a problem. Right. And, um, and then in that fellowship uh, that circles around it, you have noticed um, that women were very, very much isolated. Uh, um, inside of the context of women being isolated, you probably would have seen them teaching maybe the grade schools, the, the lower divisions of schools. You may have seen them in the, in the church, and you may have seen them um, in kitchens, in nurseries, um, preparing the Lord's Supper to take, you would have seen different kind of roles. You would not have seen them a lot uh, at all, probably um, ushering, um, because to usher is to stand and to lead people. And they were not allowed in many, depending on where your faith tradition was, uh, kind of in that. And definitely not on the pulpit. And in many churches today, if you when you visit them, you may notice if they have more than one song leader, there may be others with microphones. And if any of those are women, they're going to be sitting most of the time because they are not allowed to stand. Okay, and then you have uh, no ministers and elders. So you see that kind of isolation in it. Well, all of that is coming back to the teaching that is uh, exclusivistic, if you've heard that term, exclusivistic legalistic 
legalistic and sectarian. Those words kind of run together, all together, and they kind of stay together. And the reason they run and stay together is because what they're doing is minimizing God's grace. And by minimizing God's grace, we take God out of the equation of being God. We, we take God off the throne and put our teaching in place of God on the throne. Does that make sense? And of course, you can talk to me this, this morning. Yes, uh, if any of you have heard Marshall Keeble um, preach, if you have heard or heard his teaching and stuff, he said, you, you, are, you can't expect me, you can't put me in a freezer and expect me to sweat. In other words, if you want me to preach, you've got to talk to me. That's, <laughs> you said, yeah. and it, so feel free to talk about people know that you're here and there is audience and soundstage. And then the other, the other part is it helps me to feel the audience. That makes sense. It helps me to know when I need to slow down and kind of speed up and move along. And that, and that is really okay because it helps. With this thing, of grace is how churches of Christ literally hijacked Christ and his atoning death to save our sins. That's, that's how we, and I use that word hijacked really critically there because what we did was take Christ out of his position to save us and put in there, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Uh, those five, you remember those five that you learned? And then somewhere along the line, did you remember, did you ever see a sixth one come in? And you realize I didn't learn the sixth one until I was like in high school. I didn't even see the sixth one. I didn't know there was. And that was to live faithfully unto death. All right. How many of you know a person that has lived godly in church of Christ and as they got closer to death, they started wondering if God was actually going to save them, if they had actually lived a good enough life. Or how many of you have heard somebody in their deathbed say that um, I pray that I go to heaven, it, you know, if, if, God, if God has covered all my sins and if I've done enough good things, then I, I hope I'll make it in. Okay. Now, how in the world can you ever convince someone that doesn't know Christ or does not love Christ, that you're going to be all right inside this fellowship when you have people that have been there all their life. When they get near to death, they're praying that I believe that I believe that God, I believe that God will save me if I have been good enough. All right. Those kind of things ought to start. Some of us, they kind of twisted around most of our lives. Some of us didn't care. Um, myself, I grew up. My father was a minister in Church of Christ, so I grew up just in this. So there was nothing of trying to lock it together or understand it. You just came along, and somewhere along the line, you learn not to question anything of substance in there if you intended to have a life in the church. Amen. All right. um, several years ago, <clears throat> I was asked to speak on the National Lectureship for Churches of Christ, which is the largest um, gathering of African Americans in Churches of Christ in the United States. And I was the keynote speaker of that, and I, my subject was Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. I opened up that message. The first thing I said was, tonight I am not going to do a song and a dance around God's grace. I'm going to open up God's grace as best as my understanding and study will allow me. And I want you to understand that wherever God has a child, 
I have a brother or sister. Wherever God has made a child, I have a brother and sister. And that was like the shot that was heard round the world. Uh, um, before that night was over and I had returned to my room, I had calls from all over the globe checking on me to see if I was all right. Checking on me to make sure that I got to my room safely. Checking on me to make sure uh, um, I have somebody you know, to, to get to me, to somebody to reach out to if anything was to happen to me. Now that was inside of a meeting, inside of a gathering of people that love the Lord. Now can you imagine what Satan is doing to those that are outside of Christ when he lets them see things like that and experience that, how in the world they could ever come to love this, this teaching, this truth that God has. And so then I decided, okay, well, um, I'm not going to give this up. I'm going to preach. I'm going to move forward. And that brings us to where we are today in this message as we go forward. Saved by grace, but demonized by the church. Now, those of you that are with us and that are following with us, if you have a Bible or a couple of Bibles around you, you may need them because I'm going to start working on the text in a couple of minutes. And most of the time, most of the time, I'll give you a heads up. When I start going to another passage, I'll mention it before I actually get there. So if you're not used to turning pages in your Bible, then you'll have somebody around you so that you can kind of follow along. And if you're here, if you're not using a paper or handprint Bible, then make sure you have your, 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 um, your phones or your pads in it and your favorite Bible verse because we're going to kind of pull just one thing that Paul said. Now, the good thing and the bad thing about this is Romans... It's probably, along with Revelation, but probably Romans is probably the hardest book of the New Testament to ever try to break down and move through. Um, it is hard. Um, and so I'm jumping right into the middle of the fire. I'm jumping into the hottest part of the fire. Uh, and I'm jumping into a text because when Paul, Paul gets here, when Paul's writing here, he's on another level. He's, he's like in a zone. He's like He's like doing a Michael Jordan job, you know, on this thing of grace. He's way out there. You know you can see out there, but you, you don't have a hope of stopping what's going on and don't know. He, he's literally doing that, right? And so that's what we're kind of jumping into today. And so in the text, in Romans, so if you have your Bible, um, we're going to start there. Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to start. And I want to start reading again. I'm going to read again verse 21. We had read it in your hearing. Very nice. We appreciate that and appreciate the voice that read it um, for God. He says, and I'm reading out of the New King James. And you'll notice Patrick, I believe, used NIV. Um, I chose um, New King James because King James Version is, is, was the, the, the fat, the, the largest amount of a New Testament translation so globally was the King James, had too much language problems in it. Uh, um, and so they redid it, and the actually doing many of them, they're rewriting it. And so I use King James. I stayed there because it still is the most used Bible in the world, translation of the Bible used in the world. That's why I stayed there. If I'm, if I'm teaching in a class, 
I'm going to come out of that and I'll use other texts along with it and things like that. But I use this simply not because one is better than the other, but simply because more people in the world have it. So when I'm teaching, more people have access to that one. So I'm teaching out the New King James. Verse 21, Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But now. And then verse number 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. According to verse number six, who justifies you that we just read? According to verse 26, who justifies you? Is it your baptism that justifies you? Is it your parents? Is it your neighbor? Is it your spouse? He said it is Christ. It's Christ that justifies you. I don't have any part to do with this justification process, and I'm glad because I know Rick. Uh, I know, and, and when I get ticked off, can I use that word? On, on, well, I, I already did, so they may have to have to blank it out on me here. Uh, uh, you know, because uh, there are times when I can go off. Um, have you ever heard that term? You know, you snapped on somebody, they went off on somebody. I found myself over in that territory, and I find myself over there from time to time. I don't. I do not want to trust myself with another person's justification because I have good days and bad days. I have, if you've ever seen that Snoopy commercial, for those of you out in the United States, this little dog, the Snoopy commercial, uh, um, he has this little bird with him and stuff like that, and you see him sitting in a bed, and he says, wow, I have had a perfect day. I have had a perfect day. Now when I pull back the covers and get out of bed, let's see if I can have another part of a perfect day. Uh, and that's what it is for us. We go through changes. Even as Christians, we go through problems, we go through challenges, we go through worries. James Cone, the person, uh, the man responsible for writing this, this liberation theology called Black, Black Power, Black Theology, Black Theology, Black Power, uh, uh, um, that whole thing of liberation, if you've heard of liberation theologies, uh, uh, South American, uh, African, Asian theologies that are teaching us how to think about God. He made the statement that it's hard to have faith in God without having times of doubt because inside that doubt is faith. That doubt is what keeps you pushing forward to God, looking for God, opening up to God, listening for God. It's that, that the struggles that you go through because God has covered you with your grace doesn't mean you're not going to have some rough days where you wonder if God is there. Are you with me? Uh, um, are you opening the door? Are you there? Have you set me up to fail? What is going on 
in my life. You may have children that have gone through some things. Your parents that have gone through things and you said, oh my God, how could they go through this? You may have had neighbors that have gone through some stuff and it almost literally racks your, just shakes your faith. But then Paul is saying that's part, of, that's part of the journey. That's a part of staying with it. Because when you think you have held your faith intact, and you start thinking, I'm still hanging on with God. Remember, it's not you hanging on to God. It's God holding on to you. That's the way this thing always goes uh, with him. And so we're going to start pulling that together in a little bit. But the text then in front of us with James is important. It shows us all how it is that in Christ we meet what God wants us to do. Now, before we get to this point, for those of you in the audience that believe that you're holy and that you're righteous and that God is with you and God, you, you, not just God is with you, but you're with God and God, you're about the best Christian on the street. Maybe that's the way to say it. Or maybe the best one in your town. Or you just, you're just, you're just that. You're all that in a bag of chips too. You're, you're really, you're really good and your bads are not that bad and your goods are really good. For those of you that are holy and you really only need God because you don't know some stuff about the atmosphere and the planets out there, so you, but you're, you're good. You, for those of you that are holy, for those of you that have taken your communion every Sunday and you took the fruit of the vine and you took unleavened bread, and for those of you that feel that you have preached, kept everybody out of the church that should be out, only let those in that should be in, let only let those in do what you say that they, you think they need to do to be saved, and you're doing it word by word, verse by verse, person by person, piece by piece. For those of you that got this thing figured out and you're holy, let me share with you something that Paul said. Uh, let me share with you something that Paul wrote. Now, remember Paul, now when Paul wrote this, remember he wrote this forward. So he wrote this not knowing that there's going to be a Rick Hunter you know, in the 20th century, he, 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 he said there's going to be somebody, if there's somebody out there, they're going to fall into this category. Same chapter in the book of Romans. And this is what, this is what Paul says. This is how Paul says, look at yourself. When you think you are righteous, when you think you've got it figured out, when you think that you become God, when you think that your work, your community service that you just took, who you don't allow on your pulpit, the instrument that you don't allow to have, when you think you've got it figured out, Paul says, look at who you really are on the inside. Back at verse number 11. He says, and he accuses, all, all of us are accused of these. He said, there is none righteous, no, not one. Right? He's accused us of unrighteousness. He accused us of not having understanding. He accuses us for not seeking after God. He accuses us from turning aside from God. He accuses us for becoming, of becoming unprofitable. He accuses us at verse 12 uh, of not being good. He accuses us of verse 13. Uh, Romans 3, their throat is an open uh, tomb and their tongues have practiced deceit. Verse 14, the mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Verse 15, 
whose feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, destruction and misery are always in their way. Verse 17, and the way of peace they have not known. And 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He leveled that on everyone who was alive and everyone who would be born. So when you get to your best day, remember Paul has already knocked that ladder, knocked that stool, knocked that self-righteousness, right. he knocked it all out already because he said that's what you look like before God no matter how righteous you think you are. For that we ought to say, my God, I thought I was doing better. I thought I was coming to where God wanted me to be. And it isn't just about getting to where God wants you to be. It's about letting Christ be head of your life. It is Christ that saves. And he says, since that's who we are, on our best day, that's who we are, then Paul says, don't get locked up in the law. Okay? When you allow legalism, sectarianism, exclusivism to come into the teaching of Christ, what you're doing is putting in a law. Paul said there can be no law where there is grace. There can be no. There's three things that basically we're going to talk about and then pull all of this together. The scandal of grace, the struggle of grace, and the design of grace. Those particular things are very important. He does this because he loves us. So when he says then at verse number 21, but now the righteousness of God, but now, but, but now. Paul says it was circumcision that saved you under the law, the Jewish law, circumcision, he says, but now. That cannot save. That will not do. It is the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It is the righteousness or the rightness of God. Not that we are right, but that when God justifies us, he declares us right. Does that make sense? Not that we are right. How many times have you, have you know you did? Am I moving just kind of tell me if I'm moving too much uh, around on the pulpit. When, we, when you do something right, how many times have you figured out you didn't have the right motive? How many times? You know you did the right thing, but you know that you didn't do it for the right reason. Okay. How many times have you done the wrong thing and you knew exactly you were doing it for the right reason? You, would, you knew you were where you needed to be. This is why this needs to be done, but I didn't do the right thing. I, I knew I wanted to do the right thing. This is what came out. My heart was in the right place. How many of you have ever, have, have, you, have any of you ever, ever tell somebody, my heart was in the right place? Have anybody, have anybody ever told that to you? After you smacked them, what happened? <laughs> what happened? I mean, see, that's how that thing works. Yeah. And so we don't want to put ourselves in that seat because that is a problem. Right? He says he is the righteousness. There's the righteousness of God, the rightness of God. All right? And verse number 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now. 
the problem with being declared right is that in my flesh, that is in my body, I'm not right. If I was, everything that came out of me would be right. But I constantly fight with my emotions. I fight with my spirit. I fight with my mind. How many times do you have to fight to do a good thing? My neighbor down at the end of the block, one more time and I've had it. How many times have you been in the grocery store? Literally in the grocery store. You're only there for a little time and then you're out. Before you get to the line to check out, somebody literally rattles your mind, rattles your spirit. All right. We all know that Patrick is a perfect driver, and most of us are in here pretty good. We try to be pretty good. How many of you coming here today? <laughs> that person's going to get it. <laughs> you know, that person's going to get it. And how many times have you been right if your car had a, just a little more horsepower to it? you would have lit them up, you know, that, that cut you off. You just couldn't catch them, especially if they're driving a Dodge Challenger or, or a Dodge. You just couldn't catch them, you know, and that's the only reason. How many of you have been in a relationship and stuff like that, and you said, one more time, you know, one more time, one more time, and, and I'm, I'm going to go off on you, not realizing that as soon as you do that, Satan is going to push you to that line as quick as he can get you there. All you got to do is lock it in your head, and he's going to push you there as quick as you can get there. This thing of letting God work in you means that we have to grapple with grace, what it must be, what grace does, how grace works. Let me show you something about God. In Luke chapter 15, verse number 3, I'm not going to turn there and read it, but you know the story. Luke 3, uh, um, we pick up, or excuse me, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 15, Luke chapter 15, verse 3, we pick up the lost things there. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost boy. Um, you remember in, in the lost sheep, he leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one. Uh, um, you know, I mean, just think about what he's saying here about, about grace. Uh, um, look at us. If I got 99 and it's all good here, I'm not going to find the one. I'm not, not, if, not unless God is pushing me out there, getting it. I've got this. I'm not going any further. But the Lord said, the one that's out there without me is the one I need, the one I want, the one that needs me. In other words, God said, you will never be in a place where I can't find you. You will never be in a situation where I can't get you. Have you ever dealt with somebody that's been strung out? Ever had a family member that's been on drugs or alcohol? And they've given up in everything and everybody. The Lord said, you are never in a place where I can't reach you. Oh, come on. Talk to me, somebody. He said, I'll never be in a place where I can't reach you. That's powerful stuff. You remember when he walked to his disciples on the water? If you read that text carefully, he didn't walk directly to, to, to them. If you notice, Peter saw, him, saw someone out there and he thought it was the Christ. You remember? That. Well, what happened was Christ started walking toward them, but when he got close enough, he, kept, he didn't continue directly. He started walking parallel to them until they realized who he was. In other words, he told Peter to get out the boat and come to me. Does that, you're getting it, Peter? When, when he could have just as easily said, let me walk to the boat and get on the boat and calm the storm. But he didn't. He stayed out in the storm 
on the water and told Peter to get out boat and come to me. That's grace. You see, those, those that you have given up on, God hasn't given up on them. Not only has he not given up on them, he already knows that they are saved or can be saved already. Just because a person does not perfect in your eyes doesn't mean they haven't been on a journey with the Lord. Okay. And then you have the widow. Remember in Mark chapter 12, verse number 41, you have the widow that was there that gave the two mites, and he says, she has done more than any that are around you. She has done more. And she said, two, two mites. Well, why should I give? Why should I sacrifice? Why should this be a sacrifice in my life? Yeah. And he said, the reason he talked about her was the fact of her commitment to God. God's going to take care of me. If I gave him my best, I'm depending on him to give me his best. In other words, I'm not living by me. I'm living by God that pours out for me, toward me. And Christ made an example of her. And then you may remember in Matthew chapter 20, the master that, or the vineyard that hired the, the workers, some to go out at about nine in the morning, some to go out at noon, and some to go out at about five. You remember that occasion? Okay. And then at the, at the end, he paid all of them together. And he started with the ones that started at 5 o'clock and got off at 6 o'clock and paid them the same amount as the one that had been in working all day. Now, I don't know about you, but it took me a while to get on board with, you know, because if I've been out in the heat all day, if I've been working, if I've been going through all of this, you, you know, I mean, I, I want people to get paid. I, that's not the issue. That's not the here. But I, if you're going to pay them that, then... I should be getting more if I stayed out here all day. But what was God doing? Right? Because he didn't have to start with the ones. Matter of fact, if it was us and we knew we were going to do that, most of us in here would have paid the ones that came in early first and get them out the door. Okay, Joe. Okay, Sally. Gone. Get up. Gone. You got your money? Go. Get your check. Got your check. Everything good? Bye. Get out of here. You'll talk to you later. We know because we know what would be coming. We literally already know what would be coming and we don't want that. And so what he did was he paid the ones that came last first so the rest of them could see it. And it caused a problem. What are you doing? And then God asked him, are you upset with me because I'm good? Are you upset with me because I administer grace? Because I'm the one that gives grace. I'm the one that comes. Are you upset? But there's another story inside of this story. He said he paid them a denarii. Okay. That was the amount that it took for a family in that day and that time. That's what it took for a family of about four to live for a day. That's what he paid. That, that's what they agreed on. You remember the ones that came early agreed for it? That was what it took for a family of about four to live at that day, for a day. Now, if the one that came at five o'clock, if he gave them less than an ordinary, what would he have been doing? What instantly would have happened? If they can't feed their family, if they can't take care of their family, if they can't get food, if they can't have necessities, if they can't get medicine, if they can't do, what's the next thing on the agenda? Oh, are you seeing where this grace comes in, how he wants to support them? If he hadn't given them that, he would have turned them into less than his child. 
And the ones that work the day, he said, you're good. I've got something for you because there's another story that comes up. We don't have time to move into it here, but there's another story that comes up about the cities and eternity. And said, your faith, what you've done, your work is going to be there. That's what God is doing. That then. And then the design of God's grace. The design of it is helping us to understand what is God doing in us? What is that God's doing in us? He says in the text, at verse number 24, but be, or being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, being justified. Paul says, that we are justified by Christ. We are declared just. We are declared righteous by Christ. Well, how does that happen when I know I'm not right? Well, if you're in a legalistic tradition, your dogma, your practice of your faith, not, not your belief in Christ, your, your take the communion every Sunday, Take fruit of the vine and unleavened bread. And when you say it, you have to say this prayer or a prayer like this. And only men can, can serve it. Okay, you, you follow where this is going? See, we use that in here. You can't sing with, with instruments. Um, we can't sing because in the Bible they didn't have instruments because there's a verse in here that says sing with your hearts and and our hearts but all of you in here that know a musician a professional musician i mean one that's really good once you get in their life and get in and move around them you realize they're playing from their heart whatever it is coming out of their hands didn't start in their hands or, or start on it started in their heart and, and don't let them start thinking about Jesus when they're doing all of this stuff because they'll go off into a whole nother place on a whole nother zone and they'll have you crying over a song and there may not even be any words in it. You know, it's just what it's doing inside of them. Can you imagine all of the musicians that put their talent that God gave them aside because they couldn't do it in this fellowship? And the greatest gift that God gave them to use for him was that. And they set it aside because the faith told them, you cannot engage Christ like this. He doesn't listen. And see, that, that's what legalism, that's what, you know, legalism does. He said, we're justified by Christ. All right. By his grace, through redemption in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation. It's an interesting word that gets cleaned up. A propitiation is, is he bought us back. He bought us. He bought us. Christ bought us. He came our propitiation. Forensic term. He, he bought us. When we try to go to sin, it is his blood that buys us back. Through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because he... Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. When Christ passed over our sins, remember 
He's passed over them. They don't come back. They don't keep coming back. And if I commit a sin, God is just to forgive me of that sin. I keep living in his faith. See, I don't have to win Christ all over again. In other words, if in fact I've been mapped, how many of you know of anybody who has been baptized more than once? Not because they felt they needed to be baptized more than once, because somebody sitting in a pew somewhere in the church we said, so wait a minute, that baptism isn't, why? Because it wasn't our water? I mean, the water that happened to be in that building at that location with that name on it? Or, or was it because of what, 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 was, what, was, what, what was it? See, we're not letting God justify. And so, see, when we take that away from God, now we can also say who's in and who's out. Okay. Now, how many of you, most of the time in your life, want to be on the out? Or do you most of the time want to be on the in? Okay. How many of us have not stood up for stuff we know we need to stand up for just to be on the in? Because when you get out, you may never get back in. And when you get out, stuff changes. It gets cold out there. You know, stuff, people that like you start all of a sudden not like you. What, you've been with me all my life. What do you mean you don't like, I, don't, I thought I knew you. I don't know. I'm the same person. What are you talking? You know. So that's how you're threatened. You know. you've known of anybody that was disfellowshipped? Disfellowshipped. That's an interesting concept when it comes to grace around it. Because how, how can you put somebody out that you didn't put in? <laughs> so you've, you've got to put, see, you have got to put somebody in before you are able to put them out. And so God just took us out of that position altogether. Rick, I don't trust you. <laughs> I don't trust you when it comes to putting in and out. I love you. I just don't trust you here. So you, you do what you need to do. Okay. I, I, I know I pushed long past my 30 minutes here. So let me, count, let me wrap this thing thing up here for sure. He says to us, he says to us, he's passed over our sins to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. God is the one that justifies us through his son Jesus Christ and sustains us through the Holy Spirit. All right. This thing of justification, he made us just. He's the justifier. Justification is the process that puts us in there with the Lord because he's justified us. And then you may have heard the term sanctification. Have you heard that term? Sanctification. Sanctification is the process. See, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's not the process of saving you, you're saved. It's the process of keeping you with him. He, say, he keeps you. He, he holds you. Right. Doesn't mean you're not going to have some weird thoughts that come. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have to apologize. Doesn't mean any of that. What it does mean is that God is holy. What he has justified, he has sanctified. And at the end of that process is glorification. He has glorified it. And that's the last part of this moving journey. That's the home with him. And so once you're in this process, you're with him. That's why Christianity, that's why Christ is important in the world, in your life. If you don't have Christ in your life, now's the time to make a decision about that. At least start thinking about it. So think about Christ in your life, what it means to have Christ in your life. 
right? Well, what some people think that grace functions like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Do any of you remember the game Monopoly? Or there's a game in North America, I'm assuming it's in many parts of the world, called Monopoly. And the job is to go around the board and buy up everything that you can and starve everybody else out. <laughs> that's, that's the purpose of the game. And, and you, don't, you don't want the cheap properties. I want the, I want, you know, you know I, I want the ones on board. Yeah, I want, the, I want those because you can get more for them, you know. So every time you go around, you know, you, you end up picking up different cards and stuff like that. And if you land on, land on a particular piece of property or block in it, you know, you, you get a get out of jail free card. So if you ever get put in jail for something that goes on on that board, you just pull out your get out of jail free card and you're good. Some people look at grace as a get out of jail free card. Therefore, why is it? Why is it? Why is it? that I need to get out of jail if Christ has already set me free. See, see gr grace isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace is a relationship with Christ that I, God orchestrates through what you're going through in your life. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, it's this grace that covers and moves you along. It's not the fact that you took communion every Sunday. You do that because you're remembering the fact that he justified me. He died. We're keeping that in front of us so that when I start thinking better of myself than I ought to, I bring myself back. It reminds me that God's blood covering me, so make sure you cover someone else. When a church hijacks God's teaching on grace, when it hijacks his justification his sanctification, his glorification. It takes him off the throne in his church and puts that teaching or our walk with it on it. And now we're responsible for that movement. We've got to let God do what God has come to do. And then at, there's a story that goes around about some ants in a, <laughs> they would, in, you know, in, in their ant, in their, their hovel that they build. And as a scientist was looking at them, he noticed every now and then they would take one out, they'd take one out, take one out. And he realized that they were dead, but they had been in that, in the ant farm, they had been in that, in the hovel for a long time, but nothing, they hadn't do anything for a while. And then all of a sudden, they would take them out. He realized that they gave off an odor after they'd been dead a certain amount of time. I think it's oleic acid. They would, they would get off a scent. And when the other ants smelled it, they would carry the ant out. All right. So he decided to paint a live ant, put some oleic acid on a live ant, and put it inside of the nest. So he put some on the ant, put it in the nest. The other ant smelled it carried that ant out. His antennas were waving, his legs were kicking and screaming, but they kept him out. He put him back in, they carried it back out. He put him back in, they carried him back out till he cleaned the oleic acid off. We are picking up God's people and carrying them out of the ark of safety, carrying them out while they're saying, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not dead. 
that this thing isn't dead. Well, you're dead to me. Why? Because we're not allowing God to reign in his throne. And so this grace takes us off. We're glad that you are with us this morning. We certainly hope that this message was important to you, important to us.